0: Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, everybody, we're going to go into John chapter 11 tonight. Those of you following at home uh, later on this week as we post, and those of us here in the room here, John chapter 11 (laughs) is um, one of my... uh, Favorite in Gospel of John stories, and I have about four or five favorite, and I shouldn't say stories, they're recorded historical events in Jesus, but this is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and I really enjoy this one. Now, if how many of you have ever been to a funeral that I've ever conducted? You ever been to a funeral I conducted? Now, if you've ever been to that funeral I've conducted, and it's for a believer, about 95% of the time, I will use the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It is my go-to story in a funeral for a believer. It helps me uh, drive the message, the eulogy, into trying to reach people for Jesus Christ and to show them the resurrection and what can happen. Now, one of the things that I like about the story of uh, Lazarus uh, raising from the dead is this. Um, We have just gone through uh, this time in the past couple years where COVID hit, and I don't want to rehash all that because eh, there's enough of that. But... One thing about COVID was people got really, really terrified. They got really afraid. And, and the really issue, if you really thought about it, for the people who got really afraid, what were they afraid of? Afraid of dying. But here's the question. Wasn't death always a possibility? Yes. It's like all of a sudden, oh, no, I could die. No, you could always die, okay? That, that was not anything new. But now it becomes this thing like all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, I could die. Well, when it comes to this event here in the resurrection of Jesus and raising Lazarus from the dead, this really is the answer to, if somebody asks you the question, why doesn't God do something about COVID? Or why didn't God heal that person? And the answer is, God already did something about all these things. And he rose from the dead, did he not? And he offers us new life and eternal life. And we're all going to die. And so the answer is that answer right there. And it's the answer to overcoming the fear of death. Look, do I want to die? No, I don't want to die, but I know it's coming and I'm not going to walk in in fear of death. When it comes, it's going to come and that's just what it is. But the reason I don't have to walk in fear of death is because I know there's a resurrection from the dead in Jesus Christ. Amen? So why do I need to walk in the fear of any of those things? I I know exactly um, where I'm going in, in my life. I mean, New Testament says to be... Absent from the body is to be what? Present with, Present with the Lord. That's right. And then remember what what old Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 around verse uh, 55, he says he says basically that oh death where is your sting? Oh death where is your victory? Remember that? Yes. He's basically telling you through all that the death has been defeated. It had, no longer has any power over any one of us whatsoever because All that dies is this physical body, correct? But your spirit inside of you, your soul, it lives on forever. And so that's the cool thing about why we don't need to fear death whatsoever. Now, let me show you a couple verses because I was thinking about this um, about an hour ago and I thought, you know, I really should show you these. It's not in your notes, but keep your marker here and just quickly turn to your right and go to Hebrews, would you? Go to Hebrews chapter 2. And let me show you a couple verses that um, Paul, re- or, or I don't know if it's Paul, whoever the writer is of Hebrews, we really don't know who that is. Um, but look at verses um, uh, 14 and 15. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Okay. okay. Now, in verse 14, 15, it says this, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same. In other words, Jesus came into flesh, right? so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. devil. That's right, he rendered the devil powerless. That word means powerless, or it means unemployed. He's out of a job, Satan is. Verse 15, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. I've always loved that. Because some people are such slaves to the fear of death. And when the resurrection comes along, we put our faith in Jesus, we're no longer slaves to the fear of death. Amen to that one? We have been set free. And the devil's a loser. And he's unemployed now in our life. And death has been conquered. I mean, I've shared this. But when my wife went to, when we took her to the hospital with uh, COVID symptoms and she wasn't making any sense, and her fever was 104.9, and, you know, she, she couldn't, couldn't walk. Dill and I had a carrier to the car, and, you know, we got her there, and they said her oxygen was at 62%. It, w- it was really, really low, and she was there 11 days in the hospital, and when she came out, um, I remember at one point, I asked her, were you ever afraid of dying? And she said, I was never afraid of dying. I go, then what was it? She goes, I just missed my family. I missed my family and I wanted to be in my family because you're isolated. We can't go see her. We can't do anything like that. But she never once had a fear of death or a fear that she was going to die. And so when we look at this resurrection of Lazarus, it answers the question of the fear of death. We don't need to fear death. It's coming for every one of us But that soul and that spirit within us is going to live forever. Amen? Now, I'm going to cover, believe it or not, the entire chapter 11. 57 verses. How many have confidence in me? That's not good enough, guys, okay? That's not good enough. I'm going to make it. Trust me, I'm going to make it. So, um, uh, here we go. Verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary, and her sister, Martha. Now, Jesus at this moment, now let's get distance, he's at the Jordan River. Bethany is about 20 miles away. From Bethany is about another two miles until you get to Jerusalem. So now you kind of get a geographical distance right there. Verse 2. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. Now now, John tells us which Mary this is. Why do you think John has to tell us which Mary this is? There's a lot of people named Mary in that time. Huh? Just like there's a lot of people named Jesus at that time. This is not, these are very common names. That's why we believe strongly the way Pilate dialogues in the trial, and we'll get there when we get there, that Barabbas' first name is, is Jesus. And you watch the way he term, terms everything, you figure his name has to be Jesus. And so this is the sister of Lazarus. So it's the same Mary that we see, we'll see in chapter 12 next week. Now, verse 3. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he, who, he whom you love is sick. Now, notice what it didn't say. It didn't say, you know, here's a minute. Lazarus is sick. Get here quick. It didn't say that, right? <laughs> Not at all. It says, he whom you love is sick. And the assumption is because you love him, he's your friend, you're going to do something about this. Because there's a big concern, friendship, love, etc. right there. And so the terminology is pretty important, I think. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Question. Look closely at verse 4. Did Jesus say that Lazarus would not die? Look at it. Did he say Lazarus would not die? No. He said it would not end in death. In other words, death will not have the final say. Read the words carefully of what Jesus says. He didn't say Lazarus wouldn't die. He said death would not have the final say in this situation. But... For the glory of God, it's all going to come to pass. Now, point one in your notes, if you're taking notes, and if you, never, if you don't know where the notes are, they're always on the entry or they're on the table. Jesus can stay two days because he can heal from a distance. Amen? Now, verses 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, he's really tight with the family. John's expressing this. Now, verse 6. So, when he heard that he was sick... He then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's kind of cold, isn't it? My friend's dying. Okay, I'm going to stay here at the Holiday Inn another couple of days, all right? But once you, we put the story all together, you're going to see why it's not cold. Now, the statement was Jesus can heal from a distance, so he can stay there two days longer. You may not remember, but back in John 4, after the Samaritan woman story, that royal officer comes and he says, I have someone who's sick. Anyone remember that story? And Jesus says, go, he will be well. And, of course, the guy goes, not even in a hurry, gets back the next day, and, of course, the person's healed up. And he realizes at the same moment that Jesus said that yesterday, that's when the man was healed. And so Jesus can heal at a distance. But let me show you something in these verses. Question. How long did Jesus wait? Two days before he what? Okay, let's think back for a second. How far away from the Jordan River where Jesus is at to Bethany where Lazarus is dying? 20 miles. Okay, now think now, think. Think. Okay, 20 miles. So, we know later on in the story, Lazarus, when Jesus gets there, how long has Lazarus been dead? How many? I'll give you a hint. Oh, it's four days. Okay, it's four days. So when he gets word, he waits how many days? One, two. Okay. How many miles? Let's say 10 one day, 10 the next. How many days would have taken Jesus from the moment he waits two days till the time he gets there? How many days would that be? So that means if Lazarus is dead four days, by the time Jesus got the message, what is Lazarus? He's dead. He's already dead. He's already gone. And so if you start thinking about that, you think, well, Jesus is not going to be in any big hurry. He's going to go do what he's going to do. But he's going to prove a big point later on. So by the time that Jesus got the message, Lazarus is probably already gone. Now, point two in your notes. And that's this. The disciples remind Jesus of the danger. And he reminds them of the mission. I like that because we Christians need to be reminded of that. They tell him it's dangerous. Jesus says, no, here's the mission. Now watch verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. It says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now remember, Judea is in the south. That's where Jerusalem is. And then the other part called Israel will be in the north because the kingdom was separated at the time. But that's the way you geographically look at it. Now, he says, now let's go. A couple days go by, let's go. Verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi... Uh, the Jews were uh, just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, let me put this together. Um, Jesus says, okay, two days go by. Okay, let's go to, to Judea. The disciples say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's dangerous there. The last time you were there, they tried to what? They're trying to kill you. And so Jesus comes now with what seems like a very weird statement, doesn't he? Are there not 12 hours in a day? Now, before you get hooked up on something wrong here and somebody says, Jesus doesn't even know there's 24 hours in a day, that's not the issue, guys. You don't think Jesus knows there's 24 hours in a day. Come on. So... What the issue of what's going on here when he says, are there not 12 hours in a day? Daytime is light. Jesus earlier said, I'm the light of the world. And so when he says, are there not 12 hours in a day? He's talking about light. They just said, we can't go there because there's darkness. Jesus says, there's light, 12 hours. It's almost like Jesus, and this is my thoughts on this. It's like he's saying, where are you getting your light? Why are you scared of going back there? We're in the light. I'm with you. And while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. In other words, we could say it like this to ourselves. Where are you Christians getting your worldview from? From the culture, the darkness, or from the scriptures, the light? Because the culture will come at us with all kinds of worldviews, will they not? And we have to come back with the worldview of the light of Jesus Christ, no matter what. And I mean no matter what. Will we get opposition? You better believe it. But, You stand firm in your faith, and you stand bold in your faith, and you know how to defend that faith. So let's read on. Verse 11, it says, This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought, that he was speaking of literal sleep. Now we find out that Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead already, right? Now we find that out. But they think he's talking about literal sleep. Jesus isn't talking about literal sleep. Verse 14. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. He goes, look, I'm glad I wasn't there when he died, because going when we get there, I'm going to show you something that's going to raise your eyebrows up, so you're going to believe, okay? Verse 16, therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, and I think Didymus means twin, right? Somebody correct me on that. It means twin. Said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Let me take a couple things on this, Okay. Jesus says he's falling asleep. If he falls asleep, he'll, 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 he'll wake up. No, Lazarus is dead. I love that statement. You do? Yes, let me tell you why. It's not so much anymore, but back when I was first a Christian, especially in the 80s, maybe early 90s, there was a lot of positive confession going around. Was there not? Anybody remember those days? Yeah. I mean, you. it, it was like... It, if he said, "Don't confess that. Don't confess that." I like the fact that he says Lazarus is dead. Can you imagine when somebody go, "Don't confess that, Jesus? Really? Don't confess. He's dead. Okay, that's reality." The positive confession movement—you got to be careful because it'll get to the point where you can't even say anything out loud. Like if we were joking around and Jerry, I'm saying you're doing something. I go, "You're killing me, Jerry." Somebody go, "Don't confess that. You're going to die. Really." The power, the disposition of the whole universe is in my tongue, whatever I say, that's going to happen. So I tell people that if you believe that, then confess right now that you're going to have $1 billion in one second right in front of you. And let's see if you got that kind of power. See, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? But they'll always try to do that. It's okay to live in reality, and I'm not saying not to have faith, and I'm not saying not to be positive, but live in reality, all right? Otherwise, we look ridiculous. Amen to that one? Now, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Da, 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 where am I? Where am I? I Where am I? Okay. Now he says. Um, he says, uh, "Let us go, and he, so that what does he say? So, and let us die with him." Why does Thomas say that? Because last time, we were there, what were they trying to do to Jesus? Kill him. So he says, "Let us go there, so that we also may, we die." <laughs> okay, we're going to die. We're going to die. Okay, let's go. Which tells you that Thomas is not a coward. Because people always say, Oh, doubting Thomas, this and that. Well, because he wasn't at the church meeting that night after the resurrection. But where was he? He wasn't cowering in fear, hiding in a room. He was walking around town. And that's what you've got to think about Thomas. He was a gutsy guy. So get this other thinking out of your mind. This guy's a gutsy guy. Now, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Remember, we said there was Bethany and then two miles more Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Okay. So Jesus gets there. Lazarus had been dead four days now. They always would bury people very quickly. They didn't wait. And the way they would bury them is they'd they'd put strips of cloth. they wrap them in strips of cloth and strips of cloth and strips of cloth. And that's why uh, when Jesus, when he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, remember that? Those are strips of cloth. It's a picture signifying that Jesus would die because you wrap people, death, in strips of cloth. So they wrapped him in strips of cloth. They would put him in tombs. They'd put all kinds of spices over them to offset the smell of decay, things like that. Now, it says he's been dead how many days again? Very relevant to the story. That's the part I'll bring out in a second a little bit later that I really push hard when I do a funeral and I'm going after people for salvation. Now, number three in your notes. Third point is this. Martha's faith remains strong. Martha's faith remains strong. This is a very important issue right here. And way, the way she's living, much of it is the way we need to live in our life. Look at verse 20, 20 to 22. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, traditionally, they would stay in the house for seven days. That's what they would do during this morning time. They wouldn't leave except maybe to go to the tomb, or, you know, to go to the restroom, but she breaks tradition, Martha says, I'm leaving the house, Jesus is around here, I'm going to go talk to Jesus, and I like that, but when she goes up to Jesus, what is the question that she asks him, what is she confronting with, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother, what, he wouldn't have died, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a sincere, honest question, right, I sent word, if you'd come, you, you, you know, she's really saying, why didn't you come and heal him? And I make this statement every time, uh, at every funeral, and I was making it here, every one of us in this room has, and if you don't, you will soon at some point, every one of us has a, Jesus, where were you, why didn't you come, why didn't you heal, why didn't you do this? We all have a story like that, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Every one of us here, everybody that's watching this online podcast, we all have that kind of a story. Where were you, Jesus? Why didn't you come? Now, I like the honesty of the interaction because I like what happens with Martha and what she says. Because in verse 22, after she makes a statement, she says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Is her faith diminishing or dying or is it staying strong? It's strong. She goes, even now. Even though my brother's gone, even though you didn't get here when I wanted, even now, I still believe. That's a big statement, isn't it? That no matter what, she's still going to believe. I always, in my mind, equate her um, experience with Jesus. Do you remember uh, back in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament document of Daniel? If you're familiar with Daniel, you're familiar with the story. I know this one. Remember the three Hebrew men in the fiery furnace? Remember that story? Okay. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 2 of Daniel, um, Daniel, uh, about 2,600 years ago, interprets the dream of the statue. And Daniel hits it on the money. He tells you all history to come. He tells you the whole future. That book of Daniel is incredible. And he says, this statue, the head of the statue, is Babylon, which is Nebuchadnezzar's king. And it's made of what? Do you remember? It's made of gold. That's right. And after that, I think it's, you have the arms and the chest they are silver. It's the medo Persian Empire. Then you have the belly, thighs of bronze. That's Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. Then it goes down. I think to, to the legs, I should say. Then that's iron. That's the Roman Empire. Then after that long period, then you have the ten toes made partly of iron, partly of clay. That many people believe. New Roman Empire coming in the European market there, but it's clay and iron. It won't adhere that well together, etc., etc. But He says to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Well, that's chapter 2. But after you come to meet a Persian, you're going to be conquered. Well, in chapter 3, what does Nebuchadnezzar build? A statue made of gold, of himself. It's 90 feet tall. It's almost like he's saying, oh, you think I'm going down? I'm not going down. I'm going to make a statue of gold of myself. And so, but what does he have everybody do? Bow down. The moment the band strikes that first note, You're all going to bow down and worship. Well, they find out that the three guys, the three Hebrew guys, who have been renamed with Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not bowing down. So they bring them over. They say, we're going to give you one chance. In fact, we're going to heat this thing up seven times hotter. We're going to give you one chance to bow. Strike up the band, okay? They bind them up, strike up the band. They're not bowing. In fact, here's what they tell Nebuchadnezzar. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, listen up. Our God's going to deliver us. But then they add, But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. We will not bow. And I like that because it doesn't matter if God delivers or not. It doesn't matter if God, you know, answers this one or not that one. I'm in resurrection. I'm going to heaven either way. And so I'm going to believe in God either way. Just because I say God do something does not mean he's got to jump to and do everything I want. I don't understand it all. I have a finite little pea brain. How can I know everything? And just because I say something doesn't mean God has to hop to it. He understands greater than I do. And I will believe in God no matter what. And even if he doesn't, and we all have a bunch of even if he... and he didn't do it, but we still believe, right? We still believe, that's right. And I always kind of equate that event with this event right here. Now, verse 23. It says... Uh, even uh, Jesus said to her, I love this line Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Can you imagine Jesus saying, uh, your brother will rise again. It's like calm, you know. <laughs> it's like your brother's going to rise again. Don't you? don't worry about it, okay. Verse 24, Martha said to him, she's coming right back at him. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that statement and what she just told them? She's telling him this. Yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah, I know. But he's not gonna write. Uh, you know, I, I, he's not. You're not gonna. It's not gonna happen till way when you resurrect everybody on the last day. In other words, she's telling Jesus this. I know you have the power to resurrect millions and millions of people on the last day, but you really can't do that right now. <laughs> That's what she's saying, right? That's exactly what she's telling them. And you know, <laughs> she's also saying that. It's kind of irrelevant. Now my brother's dead. You know, it's like, that's what she's telling him. So, because you didn't get here on time, Jesus. Now verse 25. Jesus is going to come back with the great statement. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Zooms in on her and says, do you believe this? Jesus gives the fifth I am statement, and to prove the I am statement, in a little bit, he will give the seventh sign, by the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and the gospel of John, is the book of the seven signs, and that raising will be the seventh of the signs, now number four in your notes, and that's this, John, I'm sorry, Jesus meets us at our point of need, Jesus meets us at our point of need, now, Let me read these eight verses, then let me go back and tell you what's so cool about him. She said to him, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister. So she goes, Hey, Mary, Jesus here. Saying secretly, The teacher's here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. So here comes a sister. Come here. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He's still in the outskirts of town, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her when they saw Mary, the other sister, got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to weep there. They think she's going to the tomb. No, she's going to go see Jesus. Verse um, 30, uh, 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Question, Does do you always find Mary falling at Jesus' feet? You better believe it. You see this consistently in Scripture. And she says to him, <clears throat> uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Who does she mimic? Her sister. Jesus heard this is like a broken record. Okay. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse, New Testament Bible. What is it? Jesus? Jesus wept. Shortest verse. Okay. Now, I want to show you And this is one of my favorite things to share within the story. And I share it at funerals, too, for the sake of um, uh, comfort at the loss of a loved one. When Martha comes up to Jesus and she makes her statement, Jesus answers her dilemma theologically. Your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and life. He gives her what we would now call biblical answers, correct? It's theological answers. Okay. When Mary comes and confronts Jesus, does Jesus give her theological answers? She's crying. What does Jesus do? Jesus cries. He meets her emotionally. And so you see where Jesus, God in the flesh, meets people where they're at. Amen? Some people do need theological answers to their situations. Other people don't need that. They just need you to sit by them and cry with them or just be with them. I even jotted this down beforehand just as a funny joke here, but think about that. Um, I'll use Paul and Eric. You guys are threes. You're teacher types, right? You're the one who would come out and explain it all theologically. Here's the answers. How many of you are sevens? You are mercy people. Raise your hand. you're the one who would come out and sit next to them and just cry with them. But you need them both. It's how the body of Christ works all together. You, You just need these things. But notice how Jesus meets them in different ways. And I like that about him. Now, verse 36. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, here we go. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind, because remember Jesus healed a blind man in John 9? Have kept this man also from dying? Some people are going, oh my gosh, look at Jesus. He's crying with these people. He, he feels it. Other people are going, oh yeah, really? Where were you? Why did, could you not have stopped this from happening, Jesus? Okay, let me, let me tell you what's, let me give you an application, all right? Um, let's call this, um, people like to criticize the in-between. Let me just tell you as, as a leader, there are times we will take a different shift and a push and we'll try something in church and everybody knows we are going to try because I have to announce that, correct? And I know, I know from surveys and different things, I've read books that there's a, a percentage of people that sit back and go, it's never going to work. I know that. There are people like that. I already know that. But here's what really gets me at times. People like to criticize the in-between. Lazarus is dead, is he not? Jesus said he's going to rise again, did he not? That's what's going to happen. But right now he's dead, is he not? So he's not risen from the dead, correct? But Jesus said he's going to rise from the dead, correct? So right now it's in the in-between, right? Is it easy to criticize the in-between? Because it hasn't happened yet. Because the vision hasn't come to pass yet. And I always have to remember that with, with people. Because some people are going to criticize, no matter what I, they're going to criticize, because in the in-between, there's no fruit yet, is there? There is no fruit yet. And it's easy to look at the in-between and say, it's not going to work. See, I knew it. See, Really? How do you know? After six weeks, you know that? What if it takes five years for it to get that first fruit? What if, you don't, nobody knows. But people love to criticize the in-between. Don't be a criticizer of the in-between because you will have your own in-betweens, correct? Where things are just being planted and one day God will bring that fruit to fruition. Amen? Now, verse 38. Here it goes. So Jesus again being deeply moved within came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Because they would carve these caves, these tombs, and they'd roll these stones. If you ever go to Israel, you'll probably see see a stone or two like that. And you'll see one even where a cave is and stuff like that. Uh, Verse 39. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead. Oh yeah, mm. <clears throat> she's she's just being honest. No, 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 no. We we can't roll that, Jesus. No, we can't do that. Uh, let me give you some medical advice, Jesus. <laughs> it's been four days. You, in case you don't know about decomposition and things like that, he's going to stink and stuff like that. We can't do that. It's been four days, and the whole shot. Um, and by the way, if they remove that stone and they touch a dead body, what? They're unclean. So there's all kinds of other factors playing out here in, in the moment. But, you know, she's telling him, no, I don't think you understand decomposition, Jesus. Let's just hold off on it. Now, that's point five. Now, here we go. Jesus proves he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus proves he is the resurrection and the life. You're going to prove it now. Because here it comes. He made the fifth I statement. He's going to prove it with the seventh sign. And verse 40 says this. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He's reminding her of what he said. <laughs> verse 41. By the way, how many times does Jesus have to remind you and I of what he said? Huh? Remember I told you that 25 times, Jim, already? You did? <laughs> okay. Verse 41. So they removed the stone. And you and I think they just rolled it. Oh no, it It takes some effort to roll these stones, guys. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! come forth and we like to joke and say if he didn't say Lazarus name everybody's coming forth yeah to say the guy's name make sure it's just him I just want you Lazarus okay verse 44 the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth and Jesus Jesus said to them unbind him and let him let him go Question, how long was Lazarus dead for again? Very important statement. You're seeing that repeatedly. Why is it repeated? Because rabbinical teaching in that time taught that um, when a person died and they were entombed, uh, that for three days, the person's soul would kind of hover above that dead person's body for three days. This is what they believed. It's not true, but it's what they believed. But it's kind of fascinating to me. I don't know if you've ever read any of the stories or the books and they are factual that some people when they've died out of the body, they could see what's going on in the next room. They could see what's going on down the street in detail and it was true that these things happened. These things were so. So how can you say there's no afterlife? Right? That's a free one. But anyway, So they would say that the soul would hover over a body for three days. But by the fourth day, the body starts decomposition. And once it starts decomposition, the soul basically is like, well, we're out of here now. We're not coming back in that body. So for three days, resuscitation. But by the fourth day, it's over. It's done. It's resurrection or it's nothing. How many days did Jesus wait till? Four days, man. He's coming there because what did he say about himself? I'm the resurrection. He didn't say I'm the resuscitation in the life. I'm the resurrection in the life. And so he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth, and that body is resurrected, and no more decomposition, and, it's, and Lazarus starts coming forth. Now, Lazarus comes forth. Is he wrapped in strips of cloth? Yeah, he's. and so Jesus says, unbind him and let him go, correct? Yeah. I love that. Let me tell you why I love that. Because once a person is born again, walking in resurrection, we still got a lot of strips of cloth on us, right? Right? Got a lot of baggage on us. And so we need the body of Christ. We need disciples to come on. Jesus says, unbind them and let them go. That's why isolated, by themselves, non-fellowshipping, non-serving Christians, they don't grow as fast because they're not bumping shoulder with the people and they're not having people strip off the old dead clothing off their bodies. Amen to that one? And if you're not getting close to anybody, you're not helping anybody unstrip all the old... not I shouldn't say strip. Take off the strips of cloth, you know, <laughs> off their old bag and stuff like that too, Right? And this is a lifelong process. All of us, God is still taking old strips of cloth off our old life and old ways and old thinking. And we need the body of Christ. Unbind them and let them go. We all need that. Amen to that one? Okay, now, I'm going to read, I'm just going to read verses 45 to 57, just quick brief comments as I go, and then I'm going to finish off, come back with a last thought, all right? Because it's like 9.30. No, it's not. I'm just joking. Okay. Somebody going, boy, I'm up late tonight. Now, 45 to 57. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to Mary and and saw what he had done believed in him. And there it is. The whole point is believing, right? But some of them went to the Pharisees, tattletales, and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. That's probably the Sanhedrin. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What is the whole point of, their, of what they want? They want power and position. They could care less about anything. It's just about power and position. I could care less about you. I would want power and position. That's all they want. The elitists, that's what they want. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, and that that the whole nation not perish. Ah. So in other words, Jesus is so politically dangerous, he could take down the nation. But notice what they say in the next verse of justice. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, But being the high priest that year, being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Caiaphas doesn't even realize what he has just said. But he's prophesied the death of Jesus Christ for the entire nation, for the entire world. That's amazing, huh? Verse 52. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Question. Were there other sheep? Remember that in John 10? Anyone remember that? So he's going to gather them all. He's going to go after everybody. Verse 53. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Now stop. Who's planning to kill him? They counseled together these other religious leaders. It would be like me and the pastoral staff coming together and say, how are we going to kill Jesus? It would be like that. It's like church people, church leaders, how how can we get rid of this guy? That's the equivalent of what's happening right there. Isn't that crazy? Verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So we know now it's Passover time. We know now Jesus is heading into the last days of his life. As, we, as he knows it. We know now, that time. So they were seeking uh, for Jesus, and they were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it. You put that on social media. Give us the address. We're going to go get that guy so that they might seize him. Hmm. Now, let me give you this last thought because they're, they're going to go after, they're going to kill him. Um. <coughs> What's the whole point of the seventh sign? What's the whole point of the seventh sign of raising Lazarus from the dead? Okay. You don't have to read it right now. Next week we'll cover it. But in John 12, Jesus, after he heals Lazarus, he goes back out the countryside. But in chapter 12, we find him come back and he's at Lazarus' house, and the sisters are there, and they're having a meal. They're having a meal together. Think about that. Okay. Now, so, look, Lazarus was dead. Jesus comes and resurrects him. So we could say walks a new life, right? Then Jesus leaves. Then Jesus comes back, shows up again. At a supper. With Mr. Resurrected Lazarus there. Now, think about the picture that's being painted. Jesus came the first time, right? Right? Say right. right. And he went, every, death, resurrection, and millions of us have put our faith in him and we walk in resurrected life, right? Yes. Then Jesus left at the ascension, correct? But then he's going to return in the rapture, take all the Christians at the time and all the, and then we're all going to be at a supper, at a dinner, at a meal, in heaven, in Revelation 19, right? Do you see the parallel? No, do you see the parallel? Yes. That he came, he saved us, he left, He's coming back for us, and we're going to sit at a meal in eternity, in resurrection. When you think about that right there, that's the issue of of comfort and encouragement. When life doesn't go right. In those times when we feel like, Jesus, where are you? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you save? Why didn't you heal? Well, in the middle of all that, and it is not easy in those times, we still know that Jesus is alive We're in resurrection and one day, no matter what happens here, no matter what doesn't turn out right here, we're going to sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19, somewhere about verse 6 through 9, somewhere in there, and we'll sit in glory with our Savior. And that should encourage us and comfort us no matter what is happening in our life on this earth. Amen? Amen? Okay, we'll stop there tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. God, That you never leave us, you never forsake us. We we think that at times, but it's not true. Thank you that one day we're going to sit at that wedding supper of the Lamb in resurrection because you are the resurrection and the life. And I pray, God, that comforts us. It encourages us, whether we're listening to that here live or later on in the week on one of our outlets. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Norco, or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.